What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, we have NHRA Top Fuel Racer Buddy Hall. Buddy, what is going on? Hey, Brian, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. And, uh, man, we're just living the dream out here in Texas. We got home from Topeka. We got our hot rod torn apart. We got, uh, you know, parts sent out in the mail to be repaired and some new parts coming. So, we, uh, man, we're pumped up. Yeah, it's... uh... I'm used to helping with, you know, varying levels of radial tire cars and bracket cars, kind of, you know, post-race work. And it's probably not quite as intense as what you guys got to do with the top fueler because you're a, you're kind of hard on equipment. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, just the amount of, uh, of things we have to haul with us. So, you know, we have a 53-foot semi-trailer. And we have a 28-foot support trailer that is completely loaded full. So, when we get home, it's just, it's almost a whole day of just unloading everything. And that's just what it is. But, you know, we never want to show up to the track without the tools and the parts we need. So we do our best to make sure we do it the right way. And then as soon as everything's unloaded, you know, all the guys were at the shop last night. We dug in, uh, we got the car all torn apart. And like I said, we got parts, you know, shipped out in the mail today and, and I already have new parts coming in the mail on order. So it, it, it it's, it's a beautiful thing preparation is i think probably the most important thing in a high level drag racing situation just for the simple fact that the last thing you want to do is show up to the track with a car that is not ready to have gas thrown in it and go down the track because if you got to do anything extra you're just you're you're planning for a bad weekend in my opinion yeah you know, you're 100 right you know we left the shop this time in really good shape you know we had uh we were carrying three three spare motors with us and and um we had two fresh superchargers and and uh, a few fresh racks and, and and a lot of new fresh parts bolted on the car and the trailer, including a, a, a brand new rear end. And you know we really worked hard over the summer to to garner a bunch of parts and and put the car together the right way. And we didn't have the best outing in Topeka. Conditions worked the the all time best and and uh, it, it it got us there in E one. But you know preparation means everything. And you know it's. It's just kind of like my, my war cry in my life. I think, you know, preparation bleeds over into drag racing, but it's also in my business life, too. I think that when you prepare the right way and, and when you learn through preparation, your success level is much higher. So we're learning, man. We're learning, you know, being a first-year team owner and and, uh, and driving it and, and having responsibility of, of working on the car and, and the guy that orders the parts and, and pays the bills, it's – it's a lot to learn, and, and that's one one thing that really keeps me motivated and, and, and is exciting is to have my hands on it, you know, and not just and not just play one role, but play multiple roles in my on, on my team. You know, we can get into that more a little bit later, but I think first we need to kind of like let, let's turn the clock back a little bit and hear the story of Buddy Hull because I can only think of a couple people that have just jumped into an NHRA Big Show ride, whether it's a pro stocker or, or a fuel car. What kind of led, you know, what's your story, man? How did you end up in a top fuel car? You know, your racing deal, you know, tell the people, you know, what kind of how it all began for you. Yeah. So we go back to my childhood. Um, my great uncle was the, 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 the family member that got my family into racing. And then he got my uncle and my dad into racing. And, you know, then they, they started dragging me to the track. You know, when I was a kid, um, it was, you know, you're not staying home by yourself. We, 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 we're not getting you a babysitter, so get in the back of the truck and shut your mouth, and we're going to go to the racetrack, and this is what it's going to be like. So, you know, when you're younger, it's like, oh, i got to go to the racetrack. And then 
you know, after a few years, you're like, well, I kind of like being at the racetrack. And then you fall in love with the whole culture of drag racing. That's really where it started for me. And then through my, you know, uh, late teenage years, I became um, highly competitive in powerlifting all the way through my mid-20s. Uh, uh, was a world-ranked and professional powerlifter. And, um, you know, long story short, I, I, I realized what was going to happen to me if I continued on too long. Uh, meaning, you know, with my body, and it's kind of like playing the NFL, how long can you really do it for? And so to satisfy my competitive needs, um, I found myself retiring from powerlifting and, and buying my first race car all within like a couple months of each other. It was just one thing to the next thing. And that that was, yeah, I know, right? And that was in the, what would that have been? The fall of 2008 or seven, one or the other, seven or eight, I don't remember now. And, um, you know, it started with a nostalgia fuel altered. It was a, it was a double B fuel altered. I still own the car. I still have it. It's in my shop. It's completely operable. We could pour oil in it, set the valves, put fuel in it, take it to the track and make a hit right now, which is pretty cool. I'll never sell that thing. And, um, and so that's how it all started. And, you know, my dad and my uncle and a couple of my friends helped me get started, you know, um, and lo and behold, I didn't know if I could even drive a race car. I mean, my first trip down the racetrack was in 125 inch you know, alter that, that there really is an ill handling piece of equipment with a blown big block Chevy in it. That's the truth. That was my first trip down a drag strip in a real deal race car. And so that's not the most ideal thing, but that's how I'm wired and that's what I wanted to do. And so that's what I did. And, um, I kept progressing. It took me a long time to, to, to learn, um, how to win. I don't think I, I didn't even win a round of drag racing my first two years. And then I finally, uh, clinched my first round and, and, and won some races and, and continued on and really fell in love with the challenge of, of owning a car, driving a car, working on the car, and um, ended up um, uh, proving myself that I could keep between the lines and keep it off the wall and not hit anybody and, and, and do the right things and uh, got myself uh, into some other people's cars, um, including Terry Haddock's top fuel car. And so that's really how it started. You know, Terry and I developed a relationship through a project that we were working on together. And uh, he needed a driver. Um, my driving resume, he felt, was was uh, good enough, and I had enough runs under my belt and, and fast enough cars where it was a transition to be able to handle a top fuel car. And um, and so far, so good. You know, we haven't had any wins per se, but uh, uh, in, in terms of on paper, but we've had a lot of wins with learning how to drive a top fuel car and um, making good decisions and learning. Um, there's many different ways to win at a professional level and um and it's it's been a ride man it's been awesome there's a lot of there's a lot of things in between there that got me there but really that's really to, to boil the fat off of it that's why we're at where we're at you know i think that's the most gangster thing i've ever heard is first trip down the track is on a double a fuel altered like <laughs> yeah. that's the truth for for any it's one of those things if you know you know like those cars i think are on actually no they're probably more hazardous to try to wrestle down a track than a pro mod that's yeah, yeah i mean that that's the god's honest truth yep yeah that's just how i'm wired man i'm not i don't try to sound like a tough guy or you know offer that persona but my internal my internal like motives and my internal personality that's where it comes out like i i fear nothing i respect everything and if I can be in control of a, of a throttle and a steering wheel and a brake handle and parachutes and use my brain to make good decisions, I may, I'm definitely not the best race car driver. I'm certainly not the worst, 
But what I do have is I have pretty good judgment. And so I've never feared driving anything. If if it's safe and it's got an NHRA tag on it and all all the necessary safety equipment's on it and someone offers for me to drive it, I'll drive it. Does that make sense? I'm not afraid of anything, but I respect everything. Yeah, you got to... You got to treat a race car like a loaded firearm with a lot of respect mm-hmm. and like it could very well kill you. And that'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. That's right. hundred percent agree. And it's, it's all decision-making, you know, a lot of it's natural instinct, but really it's just, it's just making good choices behind the wheel, you know, yeah. not overdriving a car, um, you know, just paying attention. And when you get in the car, you know, go through mental notes in your head. You know, uh, one thing I always do is I, I literally, um, I daydream the run multiple times while I'm sitting in the car. After I get in the car, I don't want to be talked to. I don't want to. I don't want to pay attention to anybody. I just want to get in my race car and I want to put that run in my head three or four times because that helps me. Visualization has always helped me. Yeah, yeah. That's especially when you're driving something like any fuel, v, you know, nitro cars that you really have to. Uh, when, when that when those candles are lit. That thing's getting, you know, when, when, when it's hot and live, you really have to be on top of your game because if you're lackadaisical or on nitro, you're going to hurt yourself or someone else. That's right. No, they're, they're real deal monsters, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's a skill set thing. You know, I don't think that uh, um, it's for everybody. I think it, it, it does certainly take a certain type of person to want to do it. And then once you want to do it, there's so much to learn about it. And there's, and I'm learning every run. I mean, I made a, I made a mistake uh, last weekend, and 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 it, it never ends. I mean, I think I think drivers that have been driving cars for 20 years and have a few thousand laps in a fuel car still make mistakes. I think they teach you lessons practically every run, if not every run. And um, it's, it's again, that's probably the coolest part about it. I mean, you're one of the coolest parts about it because if you're into learning and if you're into challenging yourself. It, 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 it will constantly do that. It'll, it'll, it'll make you feel real weak and real dumb real quick if you let it. You know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah. Anyway. So what was it like the first time you got, you know, you're going to get your fuel license, you're in the car, and they're getting ready to fire this thing up and you're going to make the run. What, you know, we're, we're outside of visualizing the run, was there anything else creeping through your mind that, that, you know, when that thing fires up, that, you know, it's, it's a whole different animal when it's, you know, a couple inches behind your melon, right? Mm, be responsible and don't hurt anyone. You know, that, that's a big thing for me, you know, um, knowing that it's such a responsibility to have, you know, a brake handle in your hand and your, your left foot on the clutch and your right foot on the gas pedal and, and, you know, your hand, a hand on the steering wheel, just be safe, you know, make sure that the people around you, you're keeping them safe. You know, you have control of forward and reverse in the car and make sure that it's in forward and it's supposed to be forward. Make sure it's in reverse and it's supposed to be in reverse and be aware of your surroundings. And when they're starting the car, make sure you have the really strong pull on the brake handle so it doesn't move while they're standing back there. Just really that, you know, again, I never feared the car. For me, it was just, okay. if things don't go right, I'm going to take my right foot off the pedal and throw the chutes and everything should be okay. That's always been my my thing. You know, I've always. I've never, I've never feared the cars because I knew that I was always in control just of my right foot. I could just remove the right foot, throw the parachutes, and, and, and everything for the most part should be okay. Things go really wrong, but those, doing those two things really, really save you often. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to step up and with, you know, my street car is going to be a pretty quick turbo car. And we're, we've been discussing where we're going to put the shoot handle. And I'm like, it's got to be someplace that's extremely easy to get at. 
and that I can feel comfortable basically having my hand on that thing once I put the car into high gear because if things start to go a little sour, you can be darn sure the first thing I'm going to do is dump the laundry and make sure that that car is, you know, starting to go at least somewhat the right way it needs to go. Yeah, parachutes are a leash for your race car, man. They'll 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 they'll, they'll tighten up that car and suck it straight real quick. So, I couldn't agree more, man. Put them make them big, make them make them uh, very accessible and make it somewhere where you're, you know, in a door car. I'm not I'm not a door car guy. I've never really driven a fast door car, but you know, Get them close to the steering wheel, so that way you know you're you're, you're prepared for for all things. One of the most insane things I've ever seen was up at the World Cup a few years ago. A dude put a car on its roof. And it was funny because like the car is already on its roof, sliding around, and then he grabs the chutes. Like, oh, oh boy! I'm like, you know, well, cool. It still helped him though. I mean, it really did. <laughs> If this was a test, we'll give you half credit. You know, if you would have if you would have grabbed them before you got to that point, you might not have got to that point. But at least you had enough sense to like grab them. And I was mildly impressed that he grabbed them while he was upside down. Because again, that you yeah. know that changes everything. Yep. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that happens. I think you know when you when you when a car really gets upset, and what I say is in such a position that the driver no longer is in control. Because that does happen. You know. And, and that's, that's not a luck thing. That's just a thing. That's just a, it's not a bad driver thing. The best drivers in the world wreck their race cars. It's just a thing that happens. And once your race car is so far out of shape that, that you can't control it anymore, you know, the best you can do is get the chutes out and tuck your arms in and hang on, man. Yeah. Yeah. There, that's, it's very interesting to watch. There's a difference I think between a cowboy and a good driver, a good driver knows when all is lost. Just, you know, let's put this thing back in the trailer in one piece and, you know, they'll, they'll take that L. I've seen some people start to become, you know, the cowboy riding the bunker Bronco and they just flat get lucky that they don't wad a car up. It's Agreed. terrifying to watch. Yeah. I see it a lot. As a matter of fact, I, I, and I, and I won't name names, but there are some drivers out there that, I mean, I see them all the time, just what I call overdriving the race car, which is just, you know, just defying all odds and what should happen when they do what they do. And, and I don't know, man, they just, they're lucky. They, they're saying their prayers, taking their vitamins and all the right things, because uh, there's, there's, I've, I've seen some, some things this year, you know, in, in, in a few categories. I'm like, man, that car should have got wrecked, but God bless him that it didn't. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you know, you know, from a crew person standpoint, there's been a few times where I've been able to read these sponsors letters on our car very better than what I should during a run. And afterwards I'm like, man, that thing was just all over the place. And the driver's like, man, eh, you know, it didn't feel too bad. I'm like too bad, dude. I read all of our sponsors off. That's not a good, it's not a good day. That's right. So, you know, What's it like for you driving one of these cars? Because it, it's interesting to hear the different drivers talk about the sensations and how things slow down or speed up, or they, they kind of uh, concentrate on a specific point in the track. You know, what's your run routine and what's it like? Man, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bigger guy. I'm not a typical build for a top fuel car. So there's a lot of exceptions made in the cockpit for me. The steering wheel's way in front of me so I can narrow my shoulders out. You know, and we've really done a good job at fitting the car for me. So I have to stay really relaxed. That's part of allowing the car to fit me and me fitting the car. 
so I'm really I I'm very calm. My 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 pre my pre get in the car routine is unlike I think anybody else. You know, a lot a lot of people are putting on their stuff. They're getting fired up. They're maybe moving their feet around. I'm the opposite, man. I try to keep my heart rate as low as possible. Slowly put my gear on, put my helmet on, get my Hans hooked up, tighten my helmet up, make sure everything's really good, and then I just stroll back to the car. I um I don't I don't have this fancy thing where I walk around the car and look at everything. I should have already done that before the car left the pit. So I just get in my hot rod, man. I get in there, I let my guys strap me in. I always get the the, the lap belts ultra tight. I always leave my my uh, my my chest belts loose all up until uh, you know just one pair before I run, so I you know I can I make sure I, my breathing is good, um, and I just start you know going through the run in my head. Okay, when the car comes on, pull the fuel on, you know, <clears throat> roll through the box, watch my guys, do a burnout, back up, keep in the groove, watch my guy, trim the fuel back, pull forward. You know, I just go through the run, and then um, you know there's two things I do, um, really three things I do right before. I pull the car into the beams. Uh, the first thing I do is I pick a focal point at the end of the racetrack that I'm aiming for because, you know, that helps me uh, keep the car in the groove. Um, the next thing is I always check the, um, the oil pressure on the car. I want to make sure that, you know, we're going to the starting line with a healthy engine. And that just is, is how I was trained from the beginning. Oil pressure means everything. And then the last thing I do is, is um, you know, get myself completely situated in the race car and get myself focused and, and, um, you know, assess the tree and, and dive in there and, and do my job. That's really what I do, man. I mean, I don't really think there's any magic, you know, I really don't. I just, for me, it's all about staying very, very calm and cool and pay close attention and focus on my breathing. You know, I really relax when I'm in the car. I'm probably more relaxed in my race car than I am in bed sometimes. And that's the honest to God truth. Oh, yeah, I've seen guys, you know, when they're belted in, you know, in that nice time of the year during fall when it's, you know, that that's that that what well, I call it the snuggly weather. You're in there in your suit. I've seen guys fall asleep in the cars at the ready line. Uh, yeah, uh, I have many too many times to count. Yeah, I've slept in my car for quite some time during an oil down before. Yeah, you just, you know, I've had to go up and tap the drive. Be like, hey, man, wake up. You got to go 200 miles an hour. You know, let's let's, yeah. <laughs> let's get focused a little bit here. It's the truth. It's the truth. I mean, if, if you've got enough laps under your belt and you're sitting in your car the way you should sit in there and you're set up the right way, you should you should be that comfortable. That's just, you know, not not when you're fully strapped in. You should be uncomfortable. That's an that's a subject too, man. You should be any race car. You should be strapped in so tight that it that it's terrible. You know, once they pull my my uh, my shoulder belts down, my chest belts, man. I am absolutely not comfortable because I want to be so tight in my race car that I cannot move. And that's a big thing for me. That's a safety thing. I want my chin strapped down. I want my, my body uh, to be completely connected to that race car. So if something that does go wrong, I'm safe. Oh yeah. That's I'm a kind of a safety freak myself. And when I put the, you know, set up the belts in my race car, like that, that's the, the, Part of my routine is after I finish my burnout is I do an extra cinch down on all those belts. And exactly like you said, I'm honestly uncomfortable. Like my collar, like my collarbones, my shoulder hurts, my guts hurt because I am just absolutely just sucked into that seat as tight as possible. 
Yep. And for God, you should be. And for God's sakes, people, put your visors down. I see so many racers that don't put their visors down. Like, go, go talk to Lyle Barnett or you know Don Lamont about what happens when you don't have your visor down and there's a thermal event. You know, then you get your that's you have right. to you got you have paint your eyebrows on. Yep, that's right. I agree. Yeah, man, safety's first before before any performance. Safety's first. Yeah, and yeah, and it, you know, and it's I. The, the thing that sticks out of my mind is I remember watching Brittany Force get belted in one time. And I'm thinking to myself, like, her crew guy's committing borderline assault getting her belted into that yeah. car because he's cranking on those belts. And I'm like, that's hurting me. I can only imagine what that's like inside that car. Yeah, that's how it should be. You got to be tight, especially in a fuel car. We go way too fast not to be in there just as tight as we can be. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you're not having to worry about look over and see where the person is in the other lane to drive the stripe. You're just worried about, you know, point A to point B and keeping it, you know, shiny side down. That's right. That's right. Now, when you get into a form of racing, especially at a high level like here, and I'm sure that there's some some surprises and things that you, you know, weren't expecting what kind of surprised you about once you kind of got into the nitro side of racing that you didn't think would be a thing, you know, maintenance wise, driving wise, racing wise, what were some things that kind of like kind of surprised you? Well, you know, I had a nice graduation um, by driving in, in other nitro cars at a lower level before and, and crewing on other nitro cars um, at, at, at a big show level, I, I helped a couple uh, a, a couple teams a few times with with cylinder heads. I don't want to sound the wrong way and say nothing surprised me, but nothing really did. You know, um, the, some things I had to learn were things like, you know, garnering the tickets and the parking passes. And I know just it's the most basic stuff, but as far as actual racing stuff, not really. I I I kind of. I had been doing it for so long and, and got myself in situations that I could be exposed to that level before I made a decision to race at that level, that there wasn't too many surprises. You know, it was, it was a blessing. No, that's, that's actually, if, if you can do it that way, that's a great way to do it. Then that way you're not yeah. kind of a, you, you can concentrate more on some of the other aspects that are kind of challenging to get a hand on rather than just the basics. Right. That's right. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it was it, like I said, it was just a blessing that I was able to graduate how I graduated and and had friends that had nitro cars and drive and, and drive them. And, and you know, uh, you know, building one, you know, also to help me because I, you know, I've been working on a uh, fuel altered slash funny car with a bunch of big show parts for a couple of years. And that helped me understand the parts and the pieces and kind of what it took to put one of these together. So I was really blessed with with not cold turkeying you know, buying a top fuel operation that I, that I did have a clue. Um, not an expert by any means, um, a lot to learn to say the least, but, but definitely not someone that was extremely dripping wet behind the ears. Yeah. And I, I think that again, I've, I've talked to a few, you know, the, the old school guys, and it's always interesting to, to talk to the people that have spun a lot of wrenches on these cars because they have that intimate knowledge of what goes into it. And it helps them give good feedback to a crew chief, but also helps them to understand how all those parts work and to, you know, what it takes to make the car really function and run well. That's right. You know, I'm not an expert. Here's what I say, always say. Uh, I'm not an expert team owner. I'm not the best driver out there. Uh, I'm not the best mechanic out there. I'm definitely not a crew chief, but here's the deal. I know, I, I, I know a lot about all of that, right? So, 
if you if you know a lot about all of that, I think that I think it's a good place to be to be a team owner and driver. You know, um, I know how to work on them in a general fashion. Um, I'm a business owner, so I know how to run a business and drag racing at this level is a business. Um, I feel like I'm a great communicator, so I have good relationships with the people on my team. Um, I'm, I, I have a clue in terms of tune up stuff. I don't I could never tune one of these things, at least not at this point in my life. But I have a clue. I get it. I have a, a grasp on what it takes. And um, I think it helps me. You know what I mean? I, I, I really think it helps me understand the entirety of a top fuel operation. Again, I'm not an expert in any of those categories. I'm just dangerous, right? I'm just I just know enough about all of them just to be dangerous. Hopefully that makes sense. Oh yeah, you know enough to take it apart and pretty much put it back together and it'll kind of work, right? Yeah, I know how to get it down the racetrack. I know how to pay the bills. I know how to recruit great people. My team is absolutely awesome and and put a group of guys together that that can have fun and do a great job and stay focused on the race car. You know, we 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 got something really good going. We have a really good start. And um we're not quitting ever so we're just going to keep getting better i mean that's that's our deal you know we're working on uh improving as a team i'm working on becoming a better owner i'm working on becoming a much better driver and um we're working on finding some funding so and, and finding some marketing partners and so we're not going anywhere you know um and that, and that's and that's a fact we, we're here to stay so we're going to keep learning so outside of driving a course you know you, you've worked on all aspects of the car What's your favorite part about the Nitro operation? If you were just going to go back and, you know, crew or do whatever, you know, would you want to do hill cylinder heads, blowers, bottom end? You know, what, what's your kind of your, your your happy place to to work on something? Heads. I, I enjoy a right side cylinder head. Yep. I'm right at home on the right side. That's where I belong. And I'm going to work on a race car. That's where I belong. Just stick you on that side and let you take that apart, yeah. tinker, and put it back together? Stick me, stick me on that side. Leave me alone. I'm good. You know, I didn't know that the you know on these teams that they had a specific cylinder head guy for each side. I was talking to one of John Forster's crew guys, and I was like, you know, what do you do on the team? He said, well, I do you know left side cylinder and you know a bunch you know kind of like a bunch of other random stuff, but you know mostly you know left side cylinder. It got me thinking, like, it's amazing to think that it's come to that level that you have someone that their only job is to mess with that specific cylinder when back in you know the seventies and maybe, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, you have three friends show up to run a nitro car. You couldn't even get it to the lanes these days with three people. Yep. That's right. Is that, that something? Yeah. It's, 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 I was looking at an old picture of one of Don Garlitz, one of his old cars and like the hoop over his head only had three bars. I'm like, that's borderline terrifying that they were going 200 anything with that. Yep. I know it's, it is amazing. And then it's just, you know, that, and that's the evolution of safety, and that's the evolution of the sport, and, and thank God we're so much safer these days. I don't know. In 15 years, we may look at my current race car, my top, my current top fuel car, and be like, man, what a death trap. I don't yeah. really know. I think it's pretty safe, but I don't know. Maybe in 15 years, I'll look at it like, boy, was I silly for driving that thing. Well, you know, you don't know. You, you look at the guy that, you know, sent parts into low orbit with, you know, Luigi Novelli's car, and, you know disintegrated the cylinder head you know liquefied the blower and you look at the back of you know the the seat where it's got the titanium you know kind of like cover and if that yeah, wouldn't have been not. there that dude would have been dead there's like yeah, the yeah. damage to you just look at the nicks and dings in that thing 
God, he would not have survived that. Yeah, there would have been. I pray that they're, you know, the helmet was strong enough. But, you know, the the material the helmets are made out of, whether carbon fiber or the polymer or whatever, it, when when those parts have that kind of, you know, velocity behind them, it's it just it's it's hard to say what what'll happen. You know, oh. I'm just. I'm, I'm blessed. I, uh, they're blessed that, that no one got hurt on that deal. Yeah, especially any of the spectators, considering it sounded like took a someone took a garbage can full of parts and just kind of threw it down the track. That was that. Yep. That's my biggest fear as a trackside photographer is yep. things flying off a car. I was yep. at the NHRA race at Norwalk, and a car at the top end burped and shredded the engine and the blower belt. I saw it through my viewfinder, like stuff flying out from under the car. And I had yep. about enough time to kind of turn my shoulder away from it. And even if it would have just been a chunk of the blower belt that hit me at that speed and what the blower belt's made of, a piece the size of a silver dollar, would that have left a little bit of a mark. Oh, it's it, it's as good as a bullet flying through the air. I mean, the, the belts are, are – there's Kevlar in them. So, when you know, it's a it's a piece of metal that, that is pliable, quote-unquote, right? It's that strong. So, you know, that yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, the, 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 the velocity – of the of the parts when they come off the car is no joke but you know thank god nhra is an incredible job at putting all the safety devices in place you know we have manifold bras we have we have rear head diapers we have you know bottom end diapers we have uh belly pans we you know we have all this stuff we have blower bags we have all this stuff and it keeps the parts in for the most part oh i had to do an oil change on my race car and i was cursing that stupid yep. engine diaper to high heaven but then i realized if something ever happened that's probably going to yep. be what keeps me from you know turning into a bad day into a worse day right it's, it's a real deal lifesaver now let, let's talk about the journey to become a team owner because you know i remember we talked a couple years ago up at norwalk when you were you, you were driving for terry and then you yep. kind of you know you got your own team what led to you deciding you know hey let's just let's buy a it's by top fuel operation. You know, it's, it's a Tuesday on board. Let, let's go this route. Entrepreneurship, you know, um, is my thing, you know? Um, and so with entrepreneur spirit, how can you not? I mean, you know what I mean by that? Like, like I, I work for myself, you know, I'm an owner of three businesses. Um, I'm very self-motivated. I've, I've found that I've never really needed a boss outside to coach me and make me better. But what I mean by that is, I'm a hard worker. No one ever had to tell me to get out of bed and go to work. A typical day for me is waking up sometime between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. and being out the door no later than 7, 7.30 a.m. and working until 8, 9 o'clock at night. That's normal for me. So it's entrepreneur spirit that I have. And it it just made sense, you know. I, I viewed professional drag racing as a business that is also really, really cool, right? It's a lot of fun, and I get to drive my hot rod. But it's a real business and, and that motivates me, you know, that motivates me to become better at it and master it. You know, look what Don Schumacher did. At one time he had what, six, seven fuel cars and a bike and, and whatever else. I don't, he had, it's, I think he had a car in almost like all the pro categories besides pro stock, right? No, he, he had a pro car, stock. He, he had everything but a pro mod. That's it. Okay. So he had a pro stock car. So you know more than I know. And so look what he did. It's a business. And, and, you know, look what John Forrest did and look what all these guys, look at Don Perdome and Kenny Bernstein. They're, they're incredible businessmen. There's no, there's, there's no arguing that. And so I'm very confident in my abilities to build and run businesses. I'm, I'm confident that I can learn how to become a great professional motorsports team owner and learn this thing and, and, and make it better and, and build it. I, 
I have very big hopes and dreams and, and, and I have plans in place to achieve them. And I'm a, I'm an action based guy. I don't talk about things. I just do them. As a matter of fact, most people find out I'm doing something as I'm doing it. I didn't go around bragging, you know, the year I was driving Terry's car. I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to buy a top fuel operation. This is what I'm going to do. Nope. Everyone found out when I did it. I didn't tell, I didn't tell anybody until I did it. I'm not a guy that likes to talk about things. I just like to do it. You know what I mean? Kind of like, kind of like when I was a kid, right? When I was in grade school, I wasn't a guy that told you I was going to beat you up. I'll just punch you in the face on the, on the playground and get it over with. Does that make sense? It's the same thing. And I've kind of always been that way. No, that, that completely makes sense. And that's, you know, probably one of the reasons it makes you such a, uh, you know, it, it puts you in that category of being a good, you know, owner or whatnot, because you understand the business side of it. You're motivated to make it happen because that's, you know, it's, it's not easy to get one of these operations off the ground and rolling. No, not at all. I mean, the moving parts, just, just collecting the tools alone that you need. So your crew guys have what they need is like, it's like a feat, man. It's like, it's like a big deal to, to acquire all these things and make sure they're there. It's, it's so cool, man. I love the challenge. Yeah. Cause you ain't going down to Harbor freight to get everything you need to, uh, no, to go top fuel racing. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're calling all these guys that, you don't even know who they are until you buy a top fuel team, right? So funny. You buy a top fuel team and, you, you know, this guy says, well, call this guy because he makes this tool and call that guy. It's like, are you kidding me? I didn't even know those people even existed and these tools were made until I buy a top fuel car. And that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the, the specialized tool, you know, and watching Stevie Jackson on one of his videos a couple years ago talking about, you know, a specialized tool that he legit made to make it easier to work on his pro mod. Well, it, it was kind of, it, it, I think it ties into that entrepreneur spirit that you were talking about that just that racer spirit where you don't know when to quit. Like just, it's not, if you're a racer going to a big event, you are there until you are absolutely out of parts, out of time and out of money. That's right. That's right. And, and sometimes you, you find ways to beg barter and steal your way around at least one of those to try to make the next round. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the truth. And, you know, luckily I've had a really good coach. Tim has helped. Tim Wilkerson has helped me a ton. I've known Tim a long time and Tim is not afraid to tell me what is or what isn't going on. And that's, that's a good thing to, to have in my corner. You know, he's helped me and really all of his guys. I shouldn't just give Tim the credit. Richard Hartman's been incredible. Um, Johnny West has been incredible with making sure that I have tools and parts that I need. And I've had a lot of people, really, really good people. Uh, Jim Oberhofer. I mean, a lot of people have really, said, Hey, let us just help you. You know what I mean? Let here, buddy, you need this, you need that, do this and do that. And it's all been great advice. No one's given me advice to, to try and sabotage me. It's all been incredible advice. So, um, it's been awesome, man. It's been really cool to be surrounded by good people. It's, it's, it's really the coolest thing in the world. And I think that speaks volumes to the, to the brotherhood of nitro that, you know, you're, nobody has any friends when three bulbs are lit you're going to tear that other person apart. However, when you're at the top end or you're in the pits, you're doing everything you can to keep everybody out there and racing, especially with nitro cars, because it's these, these aren't, you know, 10 second big tire bracket cars. There's not a lot of them out there and you need, you want that competition. You need everybody out there making laps. Man, you do. I mean, and that's, and that's part of the reason why I've, I think I've gotten a lot of help. You know, John Force racing helps me. Mike Salinas at scrappers helps me. I mean, there's a lot of people that have really helped me like with parts and with understanding things and getting me out there and 
Tim's been the number one, you know, component in, in that. But I mean, a lot of people have helped, man. It's been really cool. You know, a lot of people, um, let me just back up more people have helped me than what I would have ever thought. How about that? I'll just, I'll just end that subject with that. Yeah. What's been your favorite, you know, part about being, you know, the team owner? Man, probably getting, you know, just driving my race car, like, man, all this work and all this time and, and the investment that I made, man, you know, start this thing up. Let me make a run. I mean, that there's nothing cooler. I mean, to go from go to, to go to zero, you know, zero to 300 miles an hour and, you know, sub, sub four seconds. I don't know that there's anything cooler. It, it, if there is, I haven't found it. I mean, it is the coolest thing on the earth. And so, um, that's always the best part for the, if you're an owner and you're a driver, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, that's the grand finale of the fireworks show. You know what I think is honestly, it might be cooler than a top fueler that, that accidentally rhymed is Scott Palmer's nitro pro mod. That abomination cool. makes me giggle every time I see it. it. Yeah, man, that thing is cool. And he's he's gotten close to making some full hits in it. And uh, I don't know what his plans are with it. I haven't talked to Scott in, in a few months, but but uh, it's really cool. I don't think there will ever be a a plethora of those out there. I mean, it's a really unique car, and it, it, it uh, it's awesome. But I don't think too many people are going to just build them, you know what I mean? I don't see that happening, but it's really cool. It's an awesome sideshow to the circus. It's it's one of those things you wish they would, but they won't. It's sort of like a, no. it's a juvenile delinquent, you know, a double A fuel yeah. car, you know, a, a yeah. you know, fuel exactly. altered. It's it's a more, it's like, what's more metal than a fuel altered? A fuel yeah. pro mod. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> it's just, it's cool, man. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in the flesh. I've watched him make a hit in Dallas and I was like, holy cow, that's cool. In the NHRA is just sitting there going, please, God, don't let him figure out how to make a full pull on this because we don't, yeah. you know, and SFI is just going, how is this possible? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I I, don't know about that, but I would say that you're spot on in your statement. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty wicked, man. Yeah, and it, it's sort of like when, when Hartman and those guys made that ridiculous pass in the fuel altered and set the record. That was just I watched that happen. I was like, good Lord, that's like, that's next level crazy right there, going that quick and fast in a few alter. That's, you know, you got to register your balls as, you know, weapons at that point. That's nuts. That's right. Yeah. And Richard Hartman's such a good guy. You know, he works for Tim. He does Tim's blowers and he's his car chief. And what a good dude. I mean, that guy's just a good guy. He's been out there forever and he knows a lot of stuff. I want to say he knows everything about everything on a race car. What did you, just a good dude. I, I, you know, he, he builds some tools and some parts and odds and ends. And I always try to buy from Richard because he's just such a good dude. How can you not like Richard Hartman? Yeah. Like anytime I'm over that pit, those guys always are just, you know, business as usual, doing their deal. You know, there's no like angry vibe in there. You know, they're, they're, nah. they're there to do their, you know, like you said, it's like a business, but they're, you know, they're cool about it. It's not like, it doesn't feel like when you walk into some pits and it's like, there's this pressure tension. It's just they're there to do their job and run a race car and, you know, go to the hotel afterwards. That's right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, some some pit areas are so darn business-like, it's uncomfortable. That's not our pit area, man. We have a really good group of guys. We're all friends. We all pick on each other. We all give each other a hard time, and, and that's what we do, and we love it. I, I like it when I walk into a pit area and there's, like, hair metal playing heavy metal, and you just walk in there. It's yeah. like, all right, this – 
this is this this place is cool. I can deal with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we do. We uh, for us, it's '80s and '90s rock because we're all between like 35 and 50. So it's '80s and '90s rock. That's what we that's what we got on all the time. Definitely, that that, that that's good pit music. Now, that's right. That's right. Now, kind of, you know, you, you talked about all the different stuff that goes into this operation. You know, the fresh racks, the engines, and you know all that fun stuff when you go to these events. How hands-on are you personally when it comes time to, you know, getting this stuff ready? Are you, you know, in the shop with the guys, you know, trying to slap all this together? Yeah. Um, I do help. Uh, I don't help like I have in the past, um, especially at the racetrack. You know, the idea for me was to be able to focus on being an owner, being a driver, and being an entertainer to children. I love kids, so, and other fans as well, but... Um, I wanted to free myself up from having my hands on the car at the racetrack outside of little things such as, you know, fuel and wiping it down or help, you know, help somebody pack the chutes or whatever it is only because I think it's good. I think it's good for your mind. And I don't think it's good to have tired hands in a race car, but at the shop, you know, I work on the car. I mean, whatever, whatever needs to get done, I'll do, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not any expert mechanic, but um, yeah, build racks or work on a cylinder head or, you know, put the motor in, take the motor out, what, you know, rear end out, rear end in, whatever it takes. I'll do whatever. You mentioned the fans. And to me, yeah. that is one of the best things about drag racing is how much direct access fans have to the racers. Is that something you've really tried to put a lot of effort into to, to connect with fans and make them feel like they're part of the, you know, really kind of improve their experience? Totally. I love kids. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a big kid and I can, I can see that where most race car drivers could relate to that, but I really truly love kids. And, and so I, I, I see kids, I try to, I try to show them and, and, and give them a great first experience or second or third or whatever it is at any trade drag race. Like last week in Topeka, I must've met, and I'm not exaggerating, probably a dozen kids and parents have said, Hey, this is my kid's first trip to the racetrack. So I talk to them, you know, give them a hard time you know, sign their picture, hand them their picture and tell them to come back again. You know, so um, I try to be a good steward of the of the uh, of the industry. I try to represent myself and NHRA well. And I try to represent, you know, Tim Wilkerson well. And any, anybody I'm surrounded by, I, I have to do my part in representing. Um, so I, I work I work hard at that. You know, whenever I have that chance to be, once again, a representative or a steward of drag racing or my team, I make sure that I do my best. Yeah, and that's important is, you know, I grew up around the sport and, you know, I, there's multiple pictures of me growing up at, you know, the Spring Nationals here in Columbus, hanging out and, you know, getting those pictures with the racers and, you know, look at me here now. I've found some a way to, become, you know, make talking to racers and being around the sport my livelihood and that's important to build those next generations by having those positive interactions. Man, it is. They love it. I mean... And you give a kid a picture, you sign it, and you know, you give them a fist bump and take a picture with them. They know they don't forget that stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's what it's all about. Give them burnt spark plugs, torn up parts. Oh, yeah. They they love we that stuff. Our, we give all that stuff away. Yes, sir. And you you know the the dirty little secret is that they will not realize it's sort of like a yard sale. The parents don't realize this. You're just transferring your junk to someone else so you don't have to pack yeah. it home. That's a fact. Saves weight in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it makes unloading a whole lot easier when you don't have to deal with that, right? That's right. 
Now, are, are you a full student of all areas of drag racing? Do you follow much anything else, or you just, you know, kind of really pay attention to more of the NHRA level stuff? Man, no. I mean, I I am interested in drag radio stuff. I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm interested in drag week and sick week stuff. Um, and then I'm interested in all the pro categories. I pay attention to pro stock, pro stock motorcycle, fuel funny car, and top fuel. So, I mean, if you're really gonna if you're really gonna boil it down, uh, get down to the facts. I mean, that's and, and Nitro Harley. I, I think Top Fuel Harley is awesome. I know we haven't done much with it this year, but but um, yeah, those are the categories I like. Perfect. That way, I I, I ask that because there's some racers that are just so hyper focused on what they have going on that they you know don't necessarily for lack of better terms, pay attention to what else is going on. Sure. And I think it's important for the pros to have that connection to other areas of drag racing because, you know, we every area of drag racing needs to do what it can to raise the entire sport. And yeah. it, it's funny, you know, you mentioned, you know, the drag week, sick week, the drag and drive stuff. I've done a couple of those. So cool. And I'll tell you what, man, the level of buzz around that from people wanting to be around it and participate in it is absolutely insane well brian i'm going to tell you i'm i'm building a sick week drag week car right now right oh. this very second um my friend jd campbell he is the owner of pro one autosports um, yeah, here in dallas you know jd i know jd i've taken many a picture of that beautiful car he drives all right well that's one of my very close friends and so he and i are working together to um build what what i think is going to be absolutely awesome drag radio slash street car that, that's going to go down the highway at 70 and blow cold cold ac but hopefully run 850 to 90 in, in the quarter so we're, we're super excited about it i I'll guess we've been working on that for about a month i will tell you what from my experience right there you said 850 to 90 yep that's, that's our that's what we're looking at drag and drive events should also be, be, you know, you pick your misery level for the experience. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that's right. driving a pro mod on the street is cool, but you're driving a pro mod on the street. Probably not going to be that comfortable. Got a lot of turnaround. You got to do and stuff like that. An 850 to a 90 car on the street. That's the money spot because you can enjoy it. You're not, you know, as long as it's not an exotic combination, you're not having to tear it apart all the time. You just, you get to enjoy the experience and not, you know, worry about, changing god knows what on the side of the road at three in the morning yeah well we're gonna we're gonna run it down the highway with the drag radios on it and so when we get to the racetrack guess what we're gonna change nothing we're gonna we're gonna change nothing we're just gonna pull a parachute pin and go down the racetrack that's that's our plan that's that's the car we're building because you know i look at you know i really i really enjoyed street outlaws when it first came out right because it was like real deal street cars these guys were like racing them out in the middle of nowhere airports whatever and, you know, that's that's the style of car I like. And so that's where the whole idea of a streetcar slash drag radio car came in my head. You know, mini tubs, 13 and a half inch wide tire, you know, spindle mount front wheels, um, you know, uh, LSA with a big old blower on it. You know the deal. Yeah. And that again, that kind of combo right there is something that honestly most people could build and enjoy and it's it's crazy when you go to these events you'll see everything from like i said guys with pro mods that are shopping swapping shocks each stop and stuff like that all the way down to the guy that's got his c5 corvette with a cam and an exhaust and maybe a hit of nitrous and he's having the time of his life 
That's right. That's well, we're excited. We're excited about it. I know that. Oh yeah, that's that's cool, man. Well, hit me up when it's ready. We'll do a story on that because that that'd be a uh, that I I love the drag and drive stuff. That's you know what my my turbo street car is going to be set up for something similar like that because you get to enjoy it. You know, well, we got we're building the bad dude. You know, you know JD. Your his car is very well known. He's a very well known and respected builder. So you know what we're building. We're not messing around. No, it's it's not going to be some clapped out no. might not make no. it the whole way kind of deal. It, it will it will also be a show car. You yeah. follow me? Oh yeah, yeah. That that's the other cool thing about those drag and drive events is because you see a lot of cars like that that you know could go to a good guy's car show, score some hardware, go to the Friday night drags, and you know really hurt some people's feelings. That's right. Well, that's our plan. You know, and, and for the most part, I plan on just. On Friday night, sticking sticking the key in the ignition and going for a cruise, man, going to dinner. I can't wait to valet it. I can't wait to see a valet's expression when I, yeah. when I hand him the key, like here, park it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> How awesome is that going to be? Just make sure if if it's fuel injected, you got one of those ECU maps. It's got valet mode, so you can make sure that they don't decide to go out and make any poor choices for you. Yeah, it, it's supercharged and injected. So. Yeah, yeah, de- 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 definitely. Uh, get get that valet mode. Uh, right. I, I know a few friends that have that set up for uh for their for their hollies and stuff like that. Like just yep. you know just to be safe. And that's and again, it's cool that you you as a driver that you're doing something like that to to branch out into the other the other areas of the sport. Man, I think it's going to help my top fuel team. So you know, it's it to me, it's 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 just another love of another section of automotive and racing and, and car show slash event such as six week, sick week and drag week. And, um, man, we're going to do something really cool that I can't, I can't tell everybody yet what we're going to do with it, but I've given you the details I can give you, but we really got a really, really cool thing we're doing with sick week, drag week with this race car. So everyone get ready. It's, it's hopefully, hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully you get some laughs out of it and, Hopefully you learn something from it. It should be really cool. That's awesome. And, and I did sick week this year and that was, that was a cool experience. Just Tom set that up right because it like yeah. you, it, it really was like a vacation at racetracks. The drives weren't bad. People legitimately had fun and it wasn't a cluster. It was like, I, I told him, I was like, this does not feel like the first event you've ever done. And that's a good thing. Yeah. That's the one we really got our eyes on right now. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, we're going to, we should have our car finished this winter. So it's warm enough down here in Texas. We'll be able to make a couple hundred mile runs here and there and just make sure that it's, it's, it's completely hundred percent roadworthy. So we have no problems and, and then just rock and roll, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, when I hear people talk about that, they're going to build a drag and drive event car. I'm like, let me give you some advice, some unsolicited advice before you take this car to any event, go out put a lot of hard miles on it, take it to oh, the yeah. track, beat on it like it owes you money, nut and bolt it before you, because sh- if you show up with a car that you just freshly put together, trust me when I say that within the first probably two stops, you're going to have a bad time with something. Just just oh, yeah. go with me on this. Well, we got we got two incredible eighth mile tracks here in BFW, so the goal is to, you know, on Saturday morning, take off with it, drive 80, 90 miles, drive it to the racetrack, beat on it make three or four runs in it whatever whatever it is and drive it home and just just see what we break you know what i mean we break it we fix it we try it again I, jd builds a great car i don't i'm not trying to sell our way knock on wood i don't think we'll break anything i mean we're, we're doing a tried and true 
kind of kind of uh, engine combo that 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 he has uh, mastered and perfected. Um, you know, he's got this tried and true method with the rear ends and the and the, and the suspension setup and the front end we're putting on it. So we're not really we're doing something that he's already done a lot, which helps a bunch. You know, if you, if things pan out right, maybe you could you know you could hook up with Larry Dixon. Y'all could do like some some grudge races, one of these deals with his Nova. Yeah, he's got that Nova. I know it's cool Nova. I, I don't know what's in that thing. Is it small block or big block? I don't know. It's an I don't LT. Know if it's really LT four. LT. Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh, that. I'll have to hit Larry. I'll have to hit Larry up about that. That'd be killer. Yeah, that's a nine second street car. That thing is. It was funny. I got some really cool pictures of that thing leaving wheels up, and he was so giddy, like <laughs> afterwards. Like cool. you'd have thought he just, you know, went 400 miles an hour in a top fuel car. No, he just went a 980, the fastest he's ever been, quickest, fastest he's ever been in a street car, and he was just pumped. And I showed him the pictures of the thing leaving like a super stalker, and his eyes just lit up. That's, that's that tells you everything you need to know about it, right? With drag and drive. That's. That's so cool. Well, here's the crazy thing about what Larry did. You know, the Midwest Drag Week that we went on, it was like at Kill Care. Then we went to Morocco, Indiana. Then we went to Ashland, Ohio at Dragway 42. And then back to Edgewater. Larry, at every stop, would run the track and drive home to Indy. Didn't matter where we were at. He would drive home to Indy every night and then drive the car there. So he was putting in... God knows how many extra miles to, to make this happen. It was impressive to see him, you know, that car run that well with the amount of driving that he was doing. Yeah, that's killer, man. That is a lot of driving. I can't imagine that. Yeah, like that was kind of nuts. Because the only thing you had to do at that particular drag and drive event was just go to wherever the specific stops were and take a picture. So some of it might have been an advantage slash disadvantage but still you know to make those drives each day i was like man that's that's pretty hardcore yep that's so cool well good man i'll have to get a hold of him about that that's really cool i kind of i kind of forgot he had that car and then you brought it back up and i immediately remembered it so oh, yeah. that's really cool he's getting ready to do some more stuff to it it's it's going to be of course even faster with what he's got going on with it but it's it's impressive to say the least that's so cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Now, buddy, one of the things I like to do is ask my guests a fun question before we close the show out, you know, kind of throw sure. a little bit of a curveball at them. So for you, I'm going to give you the keys to the drag zine time machine where you can go to any point in drag racing history. So if you had the opportunity to go back to any era of drag racing, what era would you go to and what would you race? What would you know? Would you go back to the '60s and race a top fuel, or would it be an '80s funny car? You know, what, what would you run? 1993 through 1997 fuel funny car. No, don't blink an eye when I say it. No exceptions, nothing. '93 to '97 fuel funny cars absolutely kicked ass. Oh yeah, the, I I'll buy that for a dollar. Considering you know the names that were racing at that point and what was going on, you know, you had a. Yeah. Young and wild John Force, Perdome was still in it. Yep. It was just a killer years for a fuel funny car. I mean, they were there were so many heavy competitors and there were still some serious personalities involved. You know, you had Chuck Etchells, Al Hoffman, John Force, Jim Epler, Whit Bazemore, Tom Hoover. I mean, good are you kidding me? That that was the best. I think that right there 
I don't know, man. And we could all argue it, right? Because we all have our opinions. But to me, to me, 93 to 97 Fuel Funny Car was the best era all-time performance entertainment-wise for NHRA drag racing, period. Oh, oh entertainment-wise, 100%, you know. 100. Like, that that was, you know, I remember growing up, you know, some people, they'd, you know, sit down with their family and they'd watch, you know, their local NFL team. Sundays, when it was on, we were watching TNN to watch drag racing, or if it was That's live right. somewhere. And we were, you know, if John Force lost, that was the end of our world for that day. You know, we had the people <laughs> we rooted for, and just I'll fall down that old black hole of watching old John Force interviews. I'm like, this man's insane. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. And, yeah, so he, cool. I mean that that era just was awesome, man. I mean, the cars weren't quote unquote, you know. Um, they weren't so expensive to run. There was more of them out there. I mean, it was just so cool. I mean, Johnny West was out there, you know, and just, man, there were so many cool, funny car drivers. I mean, it was just the era. I'm not saying top fuel wasn't cool. I'm just saying that that era of fuel, funny car between drivers, entertainment performance, that was the all time height for NHRA drag racing. It was still an era where there was some corporate money, but there were still cars with That's right. a name on the side of it you know, Showtime, you know, that there there was regional players coming out. You know, there's still cars with names on the sides. Yeah. Makes I mean, Chris Pedregon had McDonald's then. I mean, the list goes on. It was so silly, the amount of what I would consider superstar professional drag racers. It was incredible. I mean, just absolutely awesome. It was like a stacked UFC card every week. Yeah, I can't even imagine, like, being, you know, from a professional race car driver's perspective right now, I can't even, like, I couldn't even compare myself to those guys. I'm like, man, those guys were so cool. They were so good. They had all this personality, all this stuff. Like, like no one's that cool anymore. John Force is that cool still, but no one's that cool anymore, man. And nobody. The, ain't nobody as cool as those guys. Those guys were the coolest ever. And they were going, ever. And they were going insanely fast with mm-hmm. – older you know the tech if you think it was high tech then but you look at it now it's like they were going really fast with still some stone age level stuff it's insane they were yeah it was so cool man i loved it that that was the period take me back there give me a fuel funny car i can i can blend in with those guys if i had the power i would buddy but unfortunately the time machine's broken wait <laughs> waiting on parts damn covid there you go call now, doc brown yeah put him to work well buddy this point in the show, we like to give our guests the opportunity to channel their inner John Force, of course, and thank all their sponsors and tell people what they got going on and where they can learn more about their racing operations. So I'll turn the floor over to you, my friend. Tell people where they can learn about, you know, Buddy Hull Racing, everything you got going on and where you're going to be the rest of the year. Yeah, fantastic, man. A great group of people that support me. Obviously, my own brand, Vertex Roofers, you know, VertexRoofers.com. Vertex NRG, that's my solar brand um campers life superstore that's our motorhome dealership dfw mobile rv lucky's diesel these guys rock man uh sean uh cash the owner of lucky's diesel him and three of his guys work on my car and they're just absolutely rock first class graphics they do all my graphics all my wraps and truck and trailer and race car those guys are awesome um you know a few people stepped up as well you know dennis taylor stepped up multi-fire spark plug wires jessel has hooked me up you know um, uh, there's been, there's been a lot GRP. I mean, um, 
Todd at, at uh, PDS, you know, Todd Payton, what a great guy. He makes sure that, that every time I burn something up, he walks over to my pit and says, here, buddy, you're going to need this. He's just a great guy. Um, you know, Pro One Autosports, Pro One Autosports, they were in my race car uh, uh, last last weekend in Topeka. So I'm really thankful for all those people, their efforts, uh, their trust in me, their support in me. You know, in the end, man, it's a, it, it, I look at it as there's literally no way it is impossible to do this without so many people and so much support that, that it me, I'm the smallest piece of the puzzle. I really am. I'm just a lucky guy that gets to, 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 to stab the pedal and steer the thing. Um, you know, in, in our website, if you're looking for apparel, we do have an apparel line out now, buddyholeracing.com. We got t-shirts, we got hats, we got hoodies. We got a couple new designs coming out, I think maybe tomorrow or next week. So, Please go there, support us, wear our gear. Uh, we're, you know, we, we're trying to increase our popularity. It helps through our marketing partners. So thank you so much for your support if you do that. Thank you to every NHRA fan out there. Without fans, we got nothing. Thanks for NHRA and NHRA Safety Safari for keeping us safe and, and the NHRA Tech Department. Uh, they're on my case sometimes, but I can appreciate it because they do keep me safe in my race car. Thanks to all the media outlets that promote us, including Dragazine. Um, without media outlets and without social media and the constant promotion of who we are and what we do, we also fizzle out and die. So um, hopefully I got everything and everybody in there because it means the world to me. And um, I want to keep this going. I want to, I want to inspire other people to do it. I, my dream someday is to be standing in my pit area and a new top fuel driver or a new fuel funny car driver walk up to me and say, you know what, buddy? You said something one day on TV or you said it in an interview or you said an article that inspired me to come do this. That is my ultimate. That for me would be like almost as good as winning Indy because I want to help grow the sport. I'm nobody. I know I'm nobody. I'm not special. But if I can inspire somebody else to take a risk and do what I'm doing, that's for me, that would be the biggest win of, I think, my NHRA career. Anyway. You know what, buddy? That's the best way to end this interview. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing the track soon. Thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate having me.